that they are not going to be perfectly quiet, uh, so please don't feel expectations that your kids will be as well. Okay, so without further ado, this is uh, Luke 5, 1 through 11. Uh, it's a beautiful story. It's going to be some pictures uh, that go along with this. Um, and Victoria, thank you for um, womaning the slides so well back there. Uh, so let me uh, start with verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gen- Genesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the Word of God. We're so grateful that we have record of these stories of Jesus performing miracles. We're so thankful for the Gospel writer, for Luke, recording these stories. And we're so thankful more than anything for the Holy Spirit that inspired the Word of God, that made it to where we can read this hold it over our heads and say, we submit to it because it is true and it is from you. Father, give us hearts that are stirred to worship you today and give us an encounter again this morning with our Messiah, our Jesus. Father, we thank you for the kids and the families and and everyone that calls Redeemer home. We pray that you would bless them this morning. Pray that you would bless those who are hurting in particular, those who are dealing with difficult health situations either for them or for their parents or loved ones. Father, I pray that there would be healing that would take place. Where there is anxiety caused by those health issues, may you bring peace. Where they feel far from you, may you come near to them. Father, we pray for those that are doing, dealing with difficult job situations or financial situations. Pray that your kingdom would come. Give us opportunities to be the hands and feet of Christ and give us spirits, give us willingness to say yes to sacrifice in order to serve our brothers and sisters in need. And Father, teach us through your word today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Kiddos, I wanted to encourage you all that you have those uh, coloring sheets in the back. I watched, I watched one child get like 14 of them, just one after another. I loved it. I loved every second of it. I hope we, had, we can put them all on the wall when we're done out here. But I want to encourage you that your incentive, if you can make it, good job. Yes, show them to me. That's great. Oh. <laughs> 
Someone says, I love you, Dad. Uh, that's for my son. <laughs> this is great. We're never having kids' church again. Kids' church is over. Uh, we're in the service forever. Um, but as an incentive, you can make it through the service and feel like you did a good job sitting still. Uh, Anna will be available uh, with stickers for you at the end of the service. So come find Anna at the end. But we are so glad that you are here, and we're so glad that we get to learn alongside each other. And I want you to think about kiddos. I want you to think about a time in adults in your life where you tried, you had a task to do, and you tried so hard to do it by yourself, but couldn't do it, and then you asked somebody else to help you, and how much, how important that was, and how much more able you were able to complete the task with that person. Because we're going to ask ourselves, in light of that question, in light of this text, we're going to ask ourselves, what is it like when Jesus is with us? There's a ton in this story to unpack, and there's a ton that we're not going to get to today because we're going to focus on the exchange of Peter and Jesus. And I want to ask the kids and the adults, raise your hand if you've ever been on a boat or if you've ever been fishing. Vivian, good job. All right. Jesse Phillips, good job. Augustine, all right, you've been fishing. So I love to go fishing. I've been fishing down in Florida. A couple years ago, I even got to go shark fishing in South Carolina. And it was so much fun. Growing up, I would fish on the Chattahoochee River. We lived just north of here, chip fish on the Chattahoochee River in a little boat that I still own. I take my own kids out. And though I love to fish, the guys in this story, specifically talking about Peter, they actually didn't just love it. They were professionals at it. They were really, really good. This was their job that they had trained to do. So in this story, we see that Jesus has asked to take out Peter's boat, and the disciples had already been fishing when this happened. Presumably, they knew this area extremely well, and Jesus instructs this guy, Peter, the professional fisherman, what to do. And you got to wonder what Peter is thinking. I mean, he's probably thinking, Jesus, I'm super impressed at the teaching. You know your Bible super well. Miracles, I definitely, you definitely have me on that. But fishing, this is kind of our thing. Like, we're kind of the pros at this. But in humility, he responds by saying, Master, we've been out here all night. Probably took a deep breath. But he said, cool, like, let's do it. You, you tell us what to do. And then the catch that they have is so amazing, so many fish, that the nets are breaking and the boats are sinking. Try to get your head around that. The nets are breaking. There's so many fish. The boats are sinking. It's an utterly unreal catch of fish in a location that seemed hopelessly unproductive before this. And Peter is in awe. He's dumbfounded. He's struck at once, not just by the number of fish, but by the greatness of the one that told them where the fish were. I've had a few moments in my life where I felt kind of a fraction of what Peter felt. When I was in college, we went to, my wife and I went to college up in South Carolina, and I, I had some friends that were friends with some guys on the soccer team, and I never really played soccer growing, uh, growing up much at all, um, but I you know, kind of thought, like, they were going out to play, and I was like, how hard is this? Kick it in the goal, like, pass it around a little bit. This can't be that hard. So I get invited out to play, and we've got some guys from the team, some of my, some of my friends, 
uh, that I live with, and we're starting to warm up, and I don't even have cleats. I don't even own soccer cleats. I'm like, this is going to be fine. But there's this one guy on the team, and I didn't know him real well. His name's Clint. Turns out his, his full name is Clint Dempsey. So Clint's about my size. He's maybe like 6'1", 6'2", you know, not like a huge guy, not super intimidating at all. But it turns out Clint not only was good then, but it turned out to be really, really good at soccer. So at our small school, somehow he landed there. But Clint went on. He left school early. I was like, dude, what, what happened? Like, is grades okay? Turned out he got drafted to go play in the Major League Soccer League up in New England. From there, he went to play over in Europe and was on the men's national team. Probably one of the top two or three men's U.S. men's players of all time. So kind of put your head around that and then put... 19-year-old Drew on the soccer field, kind of hanging out, just, you know, eight or ten of us. And so we're warming up, and there's a guy kind of sending corner kicks, like, you know, I learned what that was, kind of dude from the corner sending them over, and we're kind of in line. I didn't even know what we're supposed to do to warm up, kind of kicking it back and forth. And I see Clint kind of give this kind of head nod to the guy. And I was like, cool, like, I know maybe that's what I do when it's my turn. I give him a head nod, gives him a head nod, and the guy kind of sends this ball. Richie was his name. Richie sends this ball kind of arcing up, and I see Clint, like, turn his back to the goal. And I was like, this guy, I don't even know what he's doing. He's not even looking at the goal. Like, what's going on here? Turns his back. As the ball gets, like, you know, two or three feet away from him, he jumps up, does this thing called a bicycle kick, and he hits, and kicks it, like, in a full flip up in the air. His foot hits it. It's like a rocket went off into the goal. At that point, it was very clear I was not to be out there with these people. Like, I, at that point, they were like, all right, Drew, you're next. I was like, bro, I got some homework to do. Like, I'm going to head back. Like, I got, I, this is, like, clearly you have a future in this. I need to go work on something to have a future in something. And it was so humbling. I, I picked up my jaw off the floor, and I was not only aware at that point, I had a little bit of a window into how good this guy was at soccer, I was also very aware of how not good I was at soccer. Listening and seeing the greatness makes it incredibly aware of your own inadequacy. Same thing happens if you listen to an incredibly talented performer. I mean, I can, we'll probably ask 10 different people, you get 10 different opinions on Kanye West, but hopefully all 10 people will say the man is incredibly talented. You listen to his music and you don't think to yourself, oh, give me enough time, like, I could do that. I could come up with those lyrics. I could come up with that beat. You couldn't, for the most part. Maybe one or two of you could, but for the most part, you couldn't. Now, listening to greatness makes you incredibly aware of your own inadequacy. It's a natural response. I've done some weddings, the two or three weddings, where Pastor Mac's wife, Nicole, who you get blessed with, plays the violin and plays the harp at times up here, where she's played the harp. And you guys, when she plays it on a Sunday, you get kind of a little bit of a window into how you know, good she is at the harp. But when she's playing worship songs, like she doesn't really get to kind of fully kind of let it rip out there. When she's playing these weddings, kind of leading up to it or during the wedding, it's the closest, you know, the most I've ever seen her just full out just bawling on the harp. Like, it is very impressive. I mean, there's like 9,000 strings up there. Like, she's not even looking at them most of the time. I don't even know, I don't even know where to begin with that whole thing. But as someone who does not, you know, struggles to clap on beat, never made it past, Mary had a little lamb on the piano, like, I am very much understanding I am not good at that. 
So you probably have some instances in your life where you've been around greatness, whether it was athletics or, you know, intelligence or somebody that was extremely good at their job. And it reminds you, not only are you, are you aware of how good they are, but it also reminds you of your own inadequacy. And that's a normal and healthy response. I mean, multiply how you and I felt, and that is a thousand, a million times, multiplied by a million times. That is probably how Peter felt when he witnessed Jesus' power and his greatness that day. See, witnessing the power, wisdom, and knowledge of Jesus had an impact on Peter. He felt something. In that moment of realizing how incredible Jesus was, he, at that moment, also had a more accurate view of himself. And he realized he did not deserve to be in Jesus' presence. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knee and says, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. What's fascinating is up until this point, Jesus has referred to, I mean, Peter has referred to Jesus as Master, and now he shifts to calling him Lord. Peter went from following, just following Jesus as master to now recognizing whatever happened there, the light bulb went off, that he's in the presence of God. A veil lifted, a fog cleared. He's seeing Jesus for who he truly is, and he's seeing him as God. In the presence of God, we, just like Peter, should be acutely aware of our sin and our inadequacy. And this is the proper response, and it harkens back throughout the Bible. But there's a story in the Old Testament, Isaiah's response to seeing the Lord's glory in Isaiah 6. And I'm going to read this. It's a little bit long, but I'm going to read it. It says, In the year of King Uzziah, when, when, in, the year, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were the seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they were flying and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds took, shook and the temple was filled with smoke. So in that moment, Isaiah is seeing God for who He truly is. And what is Isaiah's response? He says, Woe to me. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. In this vision, Isaiah's experience with the living God shows us again that when encountering the holiness, the power of God, we are called to respond with humility and an awareness of who we are in our mortality and our inadequacy. I mean, imagine if Peter or Isaiah witnessed who Jesus was, who God was, and just said, and Peter said, fine, just give me another shot. Like, I'll, I'll find some fish just like you did. Or he just dismissed or ignored the greatness of Jesus. No, just like Isaiah, in this most clear moment of the whole story, he responded with great humility. And that's just the natural response to seeing Jesus. The author, Luke, wants us to understand that a light bulb has gone off because he even calls him in this moment. This is the first time he calls him by Simon Peter. The Gospel writer is using this opportunity to highlight this saying, this is crucially important 
for them and us to understand, and he's naming it as good. A pastor that I love, a guy named Tony Evans, puts it this way. He says, Peter saw Jesus for who he really was and thus saw himself for who he really was. Seeing Jesus for who he truly is allows us to see who we truly are. Psalm 51.17, this is David's response to conviction of his sin. He says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. The response to seeing the greatness of Jesus is remorse. It's contriteness. It's an honest look in the mirror. And it does, but it doesn't mean that you look in the mirror and you say, I am worthless. It doesn't mean you look in the mirror and you are disgusted with yourself and assuming that God, that God wants you to be thrown out in the trash. An honest understanding of who Jesus is allows us to see our inadequacy, but it's a lie from the devil to say you are worthless because of that. But you being an image bearer of God, made in the image of God, yes, you are impacted by Adam's sin and your own, but the Gospel says the story doesn't end there. See, I'm a sinner and you are too. And seeing Jesus convicts me of that sin because I recognize in comparison to who Jesus truly is, I don't deserve by my own volition to be in His presence. But look how Jesus responds. When He's confronted with this confession by Peter, what does He say? Does He look at that and say, oh, you are like, you are actually you're worse than you could even think. I don't even want you in my presence anymore. Take this boat back. Depart from me. I want to be done with you forever. Does he scoff at him? Or on the flip side, does he look at Peter and say, oh, it, it, don't worry about it. Like, you're not that bad. Let's not talk about your sin. Like, that's uncomfortable. You're not that bad. Let's just keep moving and kind of figure out we can, you know, what the next miracle is. No, Jesus, in all his compassion and love, responds with those three words that we love to see in the Bible by saying, don't be afraid. He doesn't dismiss the sinfulness, but he says to him, you can be honest about your sin, but you don't have to be afraid of how I'm going to respond to it. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel. This is Christianity. It's not an either-or choice. It's not, oh, we're super sinful and have to constantly beat ourselves up in order for God to love us. But it's also not, gosh, sin's really not that bad. It's uncomfortable, so let's not talk about it. It's not that big of a deal. God is love. Let's just talk about that. No, Christianity is the both and. The cross, the climax of our Christian story, the fact that Jesus was murdered for our sin and rose three days later, the cross shows us that these two things can happen and we experience them simultaneously. We are worse than we could imagine, yet more loved than we could ever hope for. In the presence of God, we should be acutely aware of our sin and inadequacy, but also in the presence of God, we can be overwhelmingly aware of how much He loves us. Kids, I want you to say this to your neighbors. I want you to look at your neighbors and say, God overwhelmingly loves you. Now turn to the other side. You can do the same thing. God overwhelmingly loves you. It's not an either or. 
And when this sinks in, to the extent that it sinks in, we are free then to be honest about our sin. Because we don't have to hide it because we look at the cross, we look at this story, and we see how Jesus responds to our sin by saying, don't be afraid. He responds by saying, I, it's, it, you don't dismiss it, but you don't have to be afraid of how I'm going to react to you. But be careful because the way you get there, the way you get to this response, the way you get to this understanding of the both and is not simply by listing out your sins. When we think about this, the starting point for Peter, for Isaiah, for you and I is not to start with our sin, but to start with an encounter with Jesus. In His presence, and I promise you if you do so, if you, if, you, if you experience the risen Lord, He will convict you of your sin. I've yet to meet a healthy Christian that is deeply in love with Jesus, but is saying, oh, I've actually, you know, I, I'm done with sin. Like, it's the, the holiest people I know are the most, the people that are most aware of their inadequacy, but they're also the most in love with Jesus. Let the reality of the cross hit you day after day. Soak up His presence in worship. Come to communion expecting to experience the risen Jesus. Brothers and sisters, nothing can replace opportunities for you to experience and be in the presence of Jesus and allow that to change us. So step one is awareness of brokenness and sin, but you don't stay there. Step two is accepting the fact that Jesus sees our sin and loves you all the more. And then step three, the application of this, is that we get to follow him. Jesus not only comforts Peter, but after that he instructs him to follow him, to live with him, to be family to him, to be part of the team. It was Simon's boat from the beginning, which I think was important for the author, for uh, Luke to point out that they took Simon's boat so that they understand when he's saying, we're going to leave, I want you to leave everything and follow me, that Simon left his boat, he left his livelihood, he probably left the biggest catch of fish that he could have ever had. I mean, just think about how the, the our you know, minds would have worked. It's like, oh, there's hundreds of fish here. Like, you could start a new ministry here. You could use these fish and, you know, as, as a way to get more people to come. Come to Jesus. We'll give you more fish. Come to Jesus. He'll provide for you in this way. But Peter understood in this moment that the fish paled in comparison to what? To being with Jesus. So he willingly left all of that. Peter's response to the greatness of Jesus had everything to do with following Jesus, and in the process, he forgot about the fish. Peter experienced grace, pure grace, and felt utterly unworthy and said so. Then he followed Jesus. He left the fish, left the comforts of his world, left his way of doing things, pulled his boat up on the shore, peaced out to his old life, left everything and followed Jesus. And it doesn't mean that the application of this is that you, you, everything applies in the exact same way to your life. Like, hopefully you don't all leave your jobs, you know, look at this and leave your jobs and, you know, start this new life right after this. But it will say that it will, it, it, should, at, it should lead us to ask some questions of saying, where am I not following Jesus? Where am I holding on in pursuing the comforts of this world? And where am I missing out on following Jesus because of that? Because what changed with Peter wasn't just this sense of adventure. It wasn't just this sense of, oh, I can't wait to figure out what my life looks like. What changed with Peter and what should be changing with us is that he trusted Jesus. He trusted him. 
And we think about even the question at the beginning for the kids of what happens you know, when you try something really hard by yourself versus when you ask somebody to help you. The, the transition that happens is you ask somebody to help you that trusts, that you trust, cares for you, and can help you. And so for our lives, that's the same thing. And kids, you can kind of wrap up your artwork and be ready to listen to this last application, which will also be for you, because in all of our lives, there's some area where we are really struggling to trust Jesus. And I have no idea what that is for you. It could be either you don't fully trust in his way of doing, that his way of doing things is better, or something has happened and you really struggle to think that it's still worth it to follow him. It's like my, my life has experienced these deep uh, experiences of suffering, and I thought I was following him, but it feels like he's far from me. I don't want to do this anymore. It's a, a struggle to trust him. But instead of trying to convince you of his goodness and his wisdom, I just want to tell you to go be with him. Kiddos, you can think about this one just like adults, but in a day just like today, when it's cold, I I got up this morning and I looked at the weather app on my phone. It was like 33 degrees outside, and I was just trying to figure out who's going to take the dog out because I really didn't want to at that point. If I can stay, if I act asleep long enough, like will some kid come in and take the dog out? And in that, when we have a cold day like today, say it's 35 or 40 degrees out, the biggest difference in how it feels is if the sun is behind the clouds or if the sun is shining brightly. We all know this as people from Atlanta. If it's 45 degrees out and the sun is behind the clouds, it is miserable outside. You take the next day and the sun, there's no clouds in the sky and the sun is out, 45 degrees, though not my favorite, extremely bearable. And why is that? It's because the sun is stinking hot. It is very hot. So when it's not behind the clouds, we experience in the presence of the sun, we get hotter. And it's the same thing with Jesus. When we are in the presence of Jesus, his warmth changes us. We experience that. And so we have got to do our best. Our job is to put ourselves in his presence, in his word, in church, in worship, in community together, taking the sacrament of communion on a weekly basis. These are opportunities to not just try, not simply to try harder, but to be with him. So that kids, back to the question of, can you think of a time when you try to do something on your own versus a time you ask for help? I want you all, as well as the parents and the other adults in this room, to hear from the story in Luke that Jesus' power and his glory will blow you away, but it's his love that will cause you to trust him. It's his love that will make you want to ask for help. It's his love that will give you the confidence to follow him even when it's hard. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your kindness and generosity to us. We're so grateful that when We struggle to trust that you do not banish us. You do not ask us to leave. You do not go far from us. But you forgive us. You welcome us home over and over again. Father, may we as a community and as individuals experience your presence today and this week. And may it change us from the inside out. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.